The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed him. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, proclaimed that the people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. If you would, bow with me. I'm going to say one more quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, it's wonderful to see you this morning, and I'm excited for both this morning and this afternoon, just as a quick housekeeping note, our baptisms will start promptly at 2.30 down at the beach, and so you, if you do join us at the Citadel Beach Club, just park your car and walk directly down to the beach, and we'll meet you there. So this spring, we're working our way through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we're now up to chapter 6, and the title of my message today is Take Nothing. And as is our custom, I want to begin with a reflective question. When you travel, what essentials do you take? When you travel for work or pleasure, what are the essentials you take? As I was asking this question to my family and to our staff, I, I heard some rather peculiar answers to this question. I heard some bring sheets, some bring spray, and some bring oatmeal cream pies. <laughs> My wife's first cousin, Angela, hopefully Angela listens to this sermon via our podcast in the next couple weeks. Since she was a child, she refused to sleep in hotel bedding. So since she was a child, she's brought her own sheets, so I'm told, by her cousin, my wife Carly. And so, uh, even on her honeymoon, she brought all of her own bedding. 
And when asked about this, she's like, why would I sleep in somebody else's sheets? That's disgusting. So she makes each bed of each hotel she stays in. How about you? Since someone on our staff, her, her, may, her name may or may not be Molly, uh, she grew up with a mom that was into cleanliness beyond the sheets. You see, every time they traveled, she carried spray. What kind of spray, you ask? Lysol. So every hotel room Molly's mother stays in, she bombs the room with Lysol. She, before anyone can go in the room, I'm told, she sprays every surface of the room with Lysol. And then the family's invited to come in. Oh, joy, joy. And, and I, as you might imagine, it would uh, trigger your senses. And then uh, up until a few years ago, when I first moved to Charleston, I was doing leadership development for church planners, and I partially worked out of London. And so I would make trips to London. And on this one trip to a church planting conference, I invited my brother. And uh, the first mistake I made was sharing a room with this big man, as a big man, in London, which have small rooms. And that's the first mistake we made. But anyway, we carried on because we didn't want to check bags. I think he had three flights to get to London. So we meet at London Heathrow, the airport, and we're, we have our bags, and we get to the hotel, and he opens up, he throws his bag on, on the bed, and he opens up his bag, and squished on the top of his bag is a giant pack of oatmeal cream pies. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, a 12-pack. He's like, have you ever eaten the food in London? I was like, Chris. And he's like, I had to do it. Oatmeal cream pies. You gotta come prepared. So when you travel, what are the essentials? How about in life? When you go day to day, month to month, year to year, what are the essentials you deem uh, necessary in life? Maybe it's friendship. Maybe you think, if I just have one or two friends that do life with me, I'll be all right. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you think, if I, if I just pay down my student debt enough, or if I just save enough, this year I'll be all right. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe you're young, old. Nonetheless, you're looking for your place in life. If you just climb that, that next rung on the ladder and get that position, that post, you'll have made it. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's finding that love or keeping that love or redeeming that love. If, if you just have that figured out, you'll be all right. And yet, here's what our passage, I believe, teaches us today. A simple and yet profound life-giving truth, which is all who follow Jesus will eventually hear him say, take nothing but me. If you follow Jesus, at some point in your life, he will say, take nothing but me. And as our passage illustrates, he may say, lay down your popularity. Take nothing but me. Lay down your provision. Take nothing but me. Lean in to my power taking nothing but me. 
let's unpack these three points. Jesus calling us to potentially lay down our popularity. Mark chapter 6, it begins, And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are we not his sisters here? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So let me paint the context of what we're looking at here. Just last week, we, in chapter 5, we looked at Jesus healing a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. She simply touched his garment, reached in faith, and she was healed. And then the story went on, and he was able to raise a 12-year-old, a little girl, the only girl of this house, from the dead. And as we look at this passage, he's traveled home. He's gone from the Sea of Galilee to Nazareth, some 20-plus miles. And there's this sense in the passion, excuse me, the passage that he's, he's going home. He's experienced hardness of heart from his hometown people, even his own relatives. And he's, you can almost sense as he's walking home that he's hoping that they've softened to the gospel. You see, in the early pages of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus started his ministry, he read from Isaiah chapter 61, all were astonished there, but quickly they turned on him. And they kind of kicked him out. They thought he was going a bit mad. And in fact, in Luke, it says they almost like, threw him off a cliff. I mean, it got crazy. And yet here, Jesus is once again going home. What is he doing? And it, and it says that he's traveling with his disciples, his entourage. He's now even more of a rabbi. The, the word of his power and the goodness of God is going out, how there's healings, there's exorcisms, this, that the eternal is breaking in through the temporal, through Jesus. A couple things are clear. His authority is real, and yet then the insults towards him are raw. For those who know anything about this day and age or biblical history, you would know that sons always are referred to by the name of their fathers. Even after death, they're always referred to by the name of their fathers. And yet here, Jesus is facing the town people, and, and they're like, isn't this just the carpenter, the son Let me make clear what they're saying. Isn't this this no-name guy from this small podunk town that we know? And isn't he the son, the illegitimate son of the lady of the night? Some of the language theologians use to capture the insults I don't want to repeat today. This is that illegitimate son. Who does he think he is? sharing this with us. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you're someone that has had the goodness of grace invade your life, invade your heart, and you have felt compelled to share with family and friends. 
And perhaps as you've gone to a family gathering or sat around a dinner table sharing your own story, your testimony, if you will, you've faced rejection or worse, ridicule. That's what Jesus was facing. The story goes on, and Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. What's interesting in this word marveled is used multiple times throughout Mark before this encounter where people were marveling at the grace and the goodness of God. And yet, as Jesus faces these hard hearts and these callous hearts, he marvels at their lack of faith, their lack of belief. But notice something. Jesus continues to trust in the word of God rather than the words of men. In fact, he references this prophet. He's referencing Ezekiel chapter 2. A prophet's not accepted in his own land, in his own town. And then it says he goes on to continue to teach in the villages. You, you almost get this sense that he's recalling his baptism where in the early pages of the different Gospels, as he comes out of the water, there's this divine voice that's recorded in multiple places, like this heavenly voice from God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And make clear here, this this is, the, this is what is holding him and driving him. Not the words of these people, but the words of God the Father. How about you? As you bring your story to your family and friends, what words will stick with you? What words will motivate you? All who follow Jesus will eventually hear him say, Take nothing but me, and it may in fact cost you your reputation, even for those you love the most. Point number two, lay down your provision. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. I know some of you were with me, with my wife, with us in the earliest days of the Daniel Island Fellowship. But for those who weren't, let me just share a little bit of our story. It was in 2013 that my wife and I, we felt called to a new season of fasting and prayer. That summer, 2013. And as we dropped to our knees, it, it became clear that God was calling us to do this, to plant this new community of faith for Daniel Island, Charleston, and beyond. And so out of prayer did a couple things. One of the first things we do is we sought partnerships. That sounds like a wise thing to do when you're doing essentially a startup, right? A new church. And specifically, uh, we sought financial partnerships from outside of Charleston so that we could, 
you know, build out a staff and get a place to worship and stuff like that. And, and believe it or not, we had three foundations circle up with us right out of the gate out of New York City. Actually, a couple were out of New York City, one elsewhere. And these partnerships, these foundations represented several hundred thousand dollars. And so we felt great. And in fact, we, we went to the place where I resigned my national job eventually. Now here's the irony. All three of those, found, all three of those foundations backed out. All three. One was having a difficult marital time. The, the leaders of this foundation, they said, the one said, if it has anything to do with Christ and his kingdom, I'm out. Another was health-related. The leader fell ill. Another was organizationally related. It had nothing really to do with us, but they all fell out. They all fell back, and we were left with nothing. Around that same time, we sent out an email to friends and family just saying, here's what God's calling us to do. Would you perhaps pray and partner with us in this? And we didn't know like, what the response would be. But here's the response that we got. We, we heard this over and over again. Hey, we're for you. But we're not really with you, at least not yet. And so we, we spent several months, just my wife and I, and then this young staff, young meaning two or three couples, on our knees praying, God, raise up the people. Raise up this community. And thank God, he did. But at first, there was no money and there was no people. And last but not least, there was no place. We were looking for places to worship. Daniel Island used to be a plantation, right, Mary? Yeah, you've lived here your whole life. There are no old buildings to resurrect here, right? So we went to the DI school. We were turned away multiple times. We went to the DI club. We were turned away multiple times. We tried to sign multiple leases. We were turned away multiple times. In fact, the owner of this building, when he finally agreed to say yes, that's when all the foundation money disappeared. By the time we circled back, like six to eight months later, there were, I think, three or four companies trying to rent this space ahead of us. And he's like, sorry, timing's everything. So I think it's fair to say that in that season, we had no people, no money, and no place. I remember being on our living room floor on my knees praying and hearing words that change everything. All, but you have me. You have me. I feel like God then gave us a verse that captured what this looks like. It's Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And this was our battle cry from the beginning. Trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. And it wasn't about aligning our partnerships or people out there. It was God calling for a fresh start in here. All those who follow Jesus at some point will hear him say, Frank, take nothing but me. Brett, take nothing but me. Lay down your popularity. Lay down your provision. And sometimes God calls us to radical tasks 
or radical times requiring radical dependency. And I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but I know some of you are dealing with this very thing right now. Whether it's out of choice or not out of choice, you're in a hard season and you feel like you have nothing but him. All who follow Jesus will eventually hear him say, take nothing but me. And then point number three, he says, now lean into my power. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So they went out, and they proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. What I love about this account is it's a parallel account to the Exodus story. Y'all know the Exodus story where God's calling people to leave the bondage of, of Egypt and go to the promised land. And he says, basically, take nothing but me. And in fact, the items cited here are the items cited there. Sandals, staff, tunic, pretty much that's it. Take nothing but me. And, and just imagine, as so those of you who have been with us for the last couple months, imagine him doing this with the disciples. Do you think these guys were ready to go and represent Jesus? I mean, just last week, that this woman touches Jesus in a crowd and he feels power leave uh, his body. And they're like, basically, are you crazy? Everyone's touching you. And he's like, no, someone touched me. The week before, Ryan Reeves, he talks about Jesus in a boat, calming the storm, and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? And over and over again, people like them and people like us, we call out God and say, do you care? Where are you? And he, he lovingly has to correct us and redirect us, doesn't he? And here, he's like, it's time, Sergio and Tyndall. It's time for you guys to go. And he says, but you don't go alone. You go with my authority. You go with my love. You go with my grace to a world in need. So the disciples went out, not with competency that they had already displayed, but with authority that they were being granted. I love in the message, Eugene Peterson then goes on to say what it looks like they did. He writes, and then they were on the road. And they preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies, healing their spirits. God was using this ragtag group of guys, this ragtag band of brothers, to break into the darkness with his light and his lasting love. And he does it then, and he does it now. And by solely trusting in the promises of Jesus, they went out full of the power of God. I love how little kids sometimes get this and see this clearer than adults. When they are able to move from selfishness to selflessness, and God breaks out in their heart and lives. Just this last week, I heard a story of, from Pastor uh, Jerry McSwain. 
Jerry has brought in a new mission, a new ministry to our church called Hope Repair. Hope Repair is where we, uh, once a month, we go out in Berkeley County to the poorest of the poor, and we help repair their homes, their shacks. Many of these people have leaky roofs, no water, no running water, no electricity, literally within a couple miles right here. And we go out and we try to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those in need. And there's no age limit. And so Jerry started doing this and he invited his son, Cody McSwain, to join him. And then Cody McSwain invited his son, um, Hayes McSwain. So you have three generations represented going out in our city to love the least of these. And it's dirty work. And just this week, this grandson, Hayes, turned to his father as they were driving in uh, his father's truck. And he said, Dad? He said, yes, son. He's like, you know Hope Repair? He's like, yes. He's like, I just want you to know when you pass away, when you die, I'm going to keep doing it. He has nothing to bring, but everything to bring. Leaning into the power of Jesus in his heart and in his life. The Apostle Paul would go on to write it like this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible uh, greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That power that dwelt in Jesus and raises him from the dead lives in you, Kristen. Lives in you, Melissa. Lives in me and lives in us, and it changes everything. God calls us as we follow him, as we get to know Jesus, as we're called to follow him, to eventually hear him say, take nothing but me. It might cost you your popularity. It might cost you your provision. But you'll have my power. And if you're honest, if we're all honest, all of us long for and need that power in our lives, in our relationships. And it's offered to us today. So where do you find yourself this morning? What are you facing? What are you walking in with today? Students, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, grad students, what are you carrying today? Adults, those who are single, those who are married, those who are going through divorce, what do you need today? Does this passage make you fearful or confident? Does it cultivate fear or faith for you? The fact, the idea that, hey, maybe I'll have to lay down my reputation as I follow him. Or maybe I'll have to lay down my, my own power or provisions as I follow him. And maybe I'm just left with nothing but him. Let me say it a different way. Guys, you're left nothing with him excuse me, nothing but him, but you have all of him, and that's a game changer for now and for eternity. Jesus says, 
Take all of me as you go. It's not based on your merit, based on my mercy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search the hearts in this room, young and old. And God, where we're facing discouragement, depression, or even a fresh call from you, I pray that we would hear your words, take nothing but me. And that you would fill us like haze with confidence and boldness and trust. And may we go not only sharing our story, but sharing, inviting others to share in this kind of divine story where everything can change. God, I pray that you would unleash your power where it needs to be unleashed in our hearts, in our homes, in our streets, in our city, in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.